Section six of the King of Alsander by James Elroy Flecker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter six concerning Isis and Aphrodite with a digression on the shocking treatment the latter's followers receive from the hands of English novelists. I had read books you had not read, yet I was put to shame to hear the simple words you said, and see your eyes aflame. 42 Poems And there was Peronella. Seated at the window, charmingly dressed in white and rose, with the sun on her face and neck and naked arms, with light playing with those said marvellous arms of hers, and making all the little downy hairs on them sparkle. Beauty is truth, says the poet. And Norman, looking on her with all the passion of Alsander, a passionate man, longed to believe the poet's lie and banish the disappointments of the mind. There was nothing vulgar or half-educated about her beauty, lips or hands or eyes. Was she not perhaps simply a child, a soul asleep, repeating, like one in an hypnotic trance, the rubbish she had been forced to learn? Was she not merely waiting for some violent shock of love or life to dispel the false personality of the genteel young miss, and unveil the true woman, with all the unconquerable nobility of the peasant and the curious greatness of the South? Norman sighed as he gazed on the lovely girl, and immediately proceeded to eat an ample meal, washed down with ample wine. We have mentioned that he was very hungry. He was thirsty, too, and the white wine of that country is a good wine, if a little sweet. Then he took a book, and read, and looked at his mistress, exchanging some sufficiently foolish remarks from time to time. But he was worried with the strange events of the forenoon, impatient to meet his strange mentor again, and not knowing where to find him. Too soon, also, he became troubled by the philosophical question, May beauty be stupid? And altogether he was not in a mood to be absorbed by any book at all. Peronella, a few moments later, looking up, saw that his eyes had wandered, that the little book was on the floor, and that his face expressed deep thought. One does not often see people thinking in Alsander, and Peronella wondered if it hurt. Coming to the conclusion that it must be uncomfortable to wear such a face, she got up and went to stand by Norman's chair. Such a domestic scene has many an artist of Holland painted to please the quiet burghers of The Hague. Norman kissed her, somewhat mechanically, and without that intense devotion and fiery rapture to which she was accustomed. "'What have you been reading that interests you so much?' and makes you kiss me in that stupid way she cried it is a little latin book i brought with me from england in latin what's it all about is it very dull sit on my knee and i will tell you all about it now don't ruffle my hair but attend to lessons i was reading about a great goddess who rose up from the sea whose robe was so black that it shone but i thought she was quite naked who the goddess who came out of the form why 
who's been telling about the goddess who rose from the foam father aljo in one of his lent sermons told us a great deal about her father aljo was an old monk with whom norman had talked once or twice a gentle soul but with an odd fire lurking about his eyes one realized that if roused by the trumpet of the church he would have marched like a crusader to the uttermost taprobane fighting for the lord what did he to say about the lady aphrodite aphrodite yes that was her name how clever you are oh the priest said he thought the reason why we were so given to the sins of the flesh was that we were of the old greek blood and have never forgotten the worship of this lady who came from the sea what an intelligent priest it is oh perinella you are a true daughter of aphrodite tell me about her nomanno she was the goddess of love yes and she has a son called cupid and is drawn in a chariot by violet-throated doves also perinella she has a little silver broom with which she drives away the cobwebs from a man's soul when he has read too many books and when did she wear the shining black oh this book is not about aphrodite it is about isis an egyptian goddess egyptian that must be interesting was she as beautiful as aphrodite tell me all about her there are different sorts of beauty aphrodite was a graceful careless and happy woman rather like you to look at and very much like you in character how charming of you to say so while isis had all nature to manage and the moon and the sea she was a terrible goddess with snakes in her hair and a great disc between her breasts men loved her none the less she was the spirit of all nature and required purity and endurance from her worshippers purity and endurance and snakes in her hair aphrodite must have been far more pleasant especially if she was like me she was the patroness of our city the father said and dr svorelli wrote to the papers once to say that the image of the virgin in the cathedral church was a heathen statue that some king put up there and that cloth had been made for it later i know that because father algio was so furious at the time that he preached three sermons against the jews but why do you read such rubbish norman was irritated by the naiveness of the remark and still more irritated with himself for being irritated what an ass i am he said to himself to talk to a pretty girl about the classics and what a much larger ass to trouble what she thinks norman had to learn that education makes prigs of all of us whether we will or no of wise and learned men only the truly great can keep their characters free of priggishness and even then what of marcus aurelius and william wordsworth and john ruskin what even of olympian goethe and there she was shining shining you mean said norman why do i read such rubbish when i have you to look at and still peronella shone the book of your eyes is the best book said norman romance even in her moment could not so fool him that he did not wish he could have said the book of your soul peronella shone 
and by an instinct shone in silence you are the prettiest girl i have ever seen said norman and the sun shone on peronella then though indeed for a moment more norman heard the voice of caution it was but a voice fading far away some arguments against caution ran through his mind pompous self-depreciation and some inverted snobbery about good enough for a grocer boy then the petty arguments were needed no longer his mind faded and went out and he leapt upon her like a god from olympus on some not reluctant spirit of wood or water he pressed her to him till he felt as if every inch of the fiery contact were complete and he forgot whole oceans of civilization in a moment that is what education is made for some might say it gives us more to forget and more to abandon in crucial moments of love or heroism he kissed her all round her burning face he kissed the soft skin behind her ear where first he kissed her in the dawn in the best and earliest hour of all the golden days he kissed her smooth and naked arms that bound his neck like a silver chain he set all the snow of her shoulder afire with kisses and on her mouth he forgot the wise advice of browning and gave her the bee's kiss first the maddening sun still shone on perlonella on her soft dishevelled robe whence gleamed what a man might take for a red rosebud on her dark hair with the hyacinthine shadows where a man might see all the stars that shine in a syrian night on her cheek and throat and her silver arms but not in her eyes for heavy with passion they were all but closed on norman too shone that great and primitive ball of fire on norman as bright an adonis as ever ran riot in a gallant tale but when they paused for breath as even the bravest lovers must and sat together on the little blue divan that graced the barren room when peronella's lips were free to speak and norman's mind was free to meditate if only for a brief sharp cruel moment how swiftly went the sun behind a cloud when will you marry me said peronella and will you take me to england oh say you will take me to england domano and when you drive me round in your carriage all the world will say that woman cannot be of our town she is the most beautiful woman that we have ever seen darling said norman let me think of this moment of nothing but this moment and always of this moment and he kissed her again but the sun shone no more on peronella and her lover was not thinking only of the moment he was thinking of his life her pretty words pierced him like little darts of ice and all the combinations of the sages could not have frightened him more than the maiden's innocent speech he saw in his clear-sighted panic that here was an end of all bright happy dreams save this one and he knew how soon this dream would fade he saw peronella unhappy a peronella who could not be afforded a carriage sulking behind the counter of the bon marche in the rain he saw how her beauty would fade away in england swiftly in a few years and all in a moment she seemed as she sat there 
to grow old and tired before him, wasting away beneath the low, dark northern skies. He judged her character with Minoan rightness. He knew she would always be a child, always be silly, querulous, unfaithful, passionate. He knew, above all, how soon she would kill that spark in him that made him different from other men, that spark the poet bade him cherish, and he feared she would bore him at breakfast every morning of his life. Ah, Peronella was good enough, nay, a prize beyond all dreams, for a Blandon grocer, he knew that. But all the brilliant fantasies and conquering ambitions which his heart kept so secret that he would not have spoken of them to his old friend, are there not wild miracles which we all, even the sanest of us, hope will happen for our benefit and glory? All these hidden desires and insane fancies came beating upon the doors of his soul. Had he been a southerner himself, of course he would have taken the girl and left her at his pleasure, the moment the love-glow faded and the romance grew stale. Her body was his for a kiss, for a smile, at the worst for a traitor promise or a rose-leaf lie. But he was an Englishman, and perhaps only Englishmen can fully understand why Norman, for all that the thought quivered in his mind, withstood, as we say in our canting phrase, temptation. For my part, I think the phrases we use, especially in books, are canting enough, and the foreigners rightly scorn us. In no tale since Tom Jones have we had an honest Englishman who makes love because it is jolly and because he doesn't care. With what a pompous gravity and false seriousness do we talk, we English men of letters, of a little love-making which in France they pass with a jest and a smile. Think how our just and righteous novelists fulminate against the miscreants of their own creation. Think of Becky Sharp and her devilish intrigues, of Seaforth and his vile deceitfulness. For Thackeray, the irregular unionist, if so we may style those easy livers, is a scourge of high society. For Dickens, he is an ungodly scoundrel, a scourge of low society. For Thomas Hardy, he is a noble fellow disregarding the shackles of convention, while the late George Meredith invariably punishes the amorous by describing them as intellectual failures. Today, Mr. Shaw would consider Lovelace disreputable owing to his lack of interest in social problems, while the pale Nietzscheans would worship him with ecstatic gasps as a monstrous fine blonde beast. Our popular novelists are entirely unaware that such horrible scoundrels exist and our legislators will shortly pass a law which will enable all offenders against monogamy to be flogged. Their agitation will be called a revival of the old Puritan spirit, and their law will be applied with rigour to the lower classes. The French, I say, call us filthy hypocrites. And yet the accusation, if levelled against our race, and not only against our writers, is not a true one, however plausible. We are more restrained than other races, and that neither because we are less passionate nor because we are more timorous. Our athletic youths are purer, do not merely say they are purer, than the diminutive young men abroad. 
it is really true there is a special kind of nobility and generosity in the way our gentlemen treat women there is something in our race that makes us different from other nations call our severe principles a fear of convention an outworn chivalry if you like you have not accounted for all cases perhaps it is true that an englishman is more likely than any other european to love a woman deeply enough to be content with her for ever at all events it should be remarked how those englishmen who through education or travel have most tolerance for the sins of others and most opportunity for sinning themselves seldom lose their own traditional scruples and that is why to come back to our hero norman who would never have dreamed of blaming tom jones for his jolly conduct and who had read with zeal and appreciation novelists of france who held the most scandalous theories concerning the unimportance of it all was nevertheless unable to make love to a girl whom he intended to desert besides it struck him the girl had never yet yielded to a lover for him the dilemma was clear he must marry this girl or leave her and the thought came over him like that one clear nice cool squirt of water or the bust the right thing to extinguish lust now had he accepted this dilemma bravely and fled that very hour from the siren presence he would have had only a flirtation and a few kisses to store up against the hour of remorse but he fought shy of drastic measures and sought to gain time like a turkish diplomat perhaps too he wanted to stay in alsander yet a little longer to inquire into the mystifications of his tramp guide and await instructions as to the promised career of good works at all events there is no doubt that as far as the procrastination business went he found suddenly a great inspiration in the curious parting command which the old poet had given him he would weave a mystery about himself he would thus not only obey the fantastic injunction of the poet but find a most practical means of escape from a perilous situation he shook himself free of the twining arms roughly and suddenly as though he had just remembered something and paced up and down the room as one lost in thought why what is it said peronella she was always alarmed at seeing a man meditate such is the profound instinct of women but norman intent now on playing his part with thoroughness and efficiency made no answer and going over to the window frowned gloomily and began to mutter to himself tell me what is the matter cried the girl running over to him are you ill ah oh, said norman i wish i could tell you what is the matter there is more the matter than you know of dear and my heart is as heavy as lead why whatever has happened said the girl and her face grew longer still forgive me perinella i should not have spoken you say your heart is heavy as lead tell me what is troubling you oh a little secret trouble that is all what trouble can be secret between you and me do not speak of it again dear forget it i'm sorry i hinted that anything was wrong you are not deceiving me normano you do not love an english girl no it is not that then what is it you must tell me norman sat on the table and put his hands on the girl's shoulders 
well then who do you suppose i am he asked with a half smile why an englishman of course an englishman but what englishman and why should i come to alsander and live in alsander but why not other englishmen have come to alsander yes but to buy and sell this crude artifice was quite enough to trouble the wits of peronella it is very strange she said musing and cesano said it was strange but who are you then by all the saints that i cannot tell you peronella well what have you come for if not to buy and sell besides added peronella passionately i love you and that is enough what do i care who you are if your love were deep perhaps you would care who i was the saying of this sentence was the worst thing norman ever did in his life his conscience haunted him for years and never let him forget those dozen careless words and their cynical hypocrisy peronella did not understand him nor attempt to but blazed out in a fury how dare you come and pretend to tell lies and pretend to be what you aren't and deceive us all it's all lies you don't care for me one bit and i am a little fool cried peronella on the brink of tears and truth how have i deceived you said norman lamely you never told me who you were you come and pretend to be what you are not you make love to me and now i see you want to run away you never asked me i am not running away said norman breathlessly seeing this card-house toppling i ask you now look here said the hypocrite listen to me and trust me now you know i am not lying to you look into my eyes and see i ask just one thing of you wait three months and you shall have an answer and know who i am don't tell more lies and talk more nonsense species of brute said the girl savagely ah oh, peronella i wish i were talking nonsense and the infernal fellow put on an air of sorrow and nobility wait three months he repeated and then see if you want to marry me or dare to want to marry me he added with magniloquence thoroughly ashamed of himself but too deep in the mire to get free oh no man no what do you mean shall i kill you or believe you wait a little while dear he said bending over her with a not feigned tenderness wait a little while and you shall see steps were heard on the stair here is cesano said peronella and forthwith cesano came in with an ineffable air of being on his best behaviour norman took his opportunity and went and with the bow which his fuming rival took for supercilious generosity bade them both good-night in the loneliness of his bedroom he fell on his bed like a penitent child and cursed himself for a mean scoundrel as for peronella the first words she said to cesano were there is a mystery about my englishman i wonder who he is and thereupon she repeated to him the whole conversation true he had not told her to keep the secret but in any case she could not have kept one it was to be the first thing cesano was to tell petro the cobbler when he saw him later that evening 
and the first thing Pietro the cobbler told Father Algio when he came in for a cup of coffee towards midnight, and the first thing Father Algio told to all his numerous acquaintance. Norman woke up next morning famous, and a mystery, and was stared at in the street even more than before. Perronello was perhaps pleased to pass for the mistress of a mystery. Cesano's hopes revived, and all seemed for the best in the best of all possible worlds, for three spacious months to come, at least. So thought Norman. End of chapter 6